the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon and welcome to Exploring the Word. I'm Jim Stanley. It's my privilege to sit in for Brother Bert Harper today and joining me. And Alex, when we talked earlier, you told me where you were. But one, I I have dozed off since then, I guess. And two, I wasn't sure of the pronunciation. Where are you again? Well, I am in eastern North Carolina, the city of Tarboro. Tarboro. Yeah, Tarboro. Like tar on the road, Tarboro, First Baptist Church, Pastor Lamont Henninger, and we had a great day yesterday, met a lot of Exploring the Word listeners, and you know what, a lot of people that uh, were at the church had a great service morning and night, and I'll be there tonight, First Baptist Church of Tarboro, and this is uh, kind of, you know, down near East Carolina University, and uh, we're, I don't know, maybe an hour east of, of Raleigh. But, Jim, a lot of people were asking, how did Sherathon turn out? And it was just such a blessing, not only to preach the gospel, but just to meet so many people who love the radio content of AFR. And so uh, I want to say a big thanks. I'm there through Wednesday night. The the love and the hospitality of all these dear folks in eastern North Carolina— but, um, Jim, I was just blessed at how interested everybody was about the outcome of Sherathon. Well, Alex, I was amazed at the outcome of Sherathon. Uh, it's one of those times that God really showed up and blessed us through our listeners. Uh, you know, we're a listener-supported broadcast ministry, and mm-hmm. this Sherathon, we set not only records for, for givers, that is, the people that called in and pledged, but also set a new record for money. And now, you know, to me, $3.7 million sounds like a lot of money. But when you divide that by the 178 radio signals that we have uh, and the maintenance that it takes to keep those going and everything, uh, it, it reduces it somewhat. But I still want folks to understand that we are thrilled that you trusted us and followed the Lord's prompting to come behind, come come alongside rather, and help us during that Sherathon. More than nineteen thousand people called in their pledges. In fact, I think it was somewhere wow. around nineteen thousand two hundred. And so uh, we're very Lord. grateful for that. Uh, if you were out last week and weren't able to participate, it's not too late. You can visit afr.net, afr.net, and the Sherathon page will be up through tomorrow afternoon. But uh, I'm not looking to do a share hour here. Uh, yeah. Lord, Lord knows I'm uh, after three days. Uh, it's, t- you know, Buddy Smith asked me earlier today how I was doing, if I'd gotten rested back up yet. Uh, but it wasn't just me. We had a whole team of folks here that were dedicated. You know, sure, Bert Harper, sure. he was in at six in the morning. Uh, you were on with him one morning at six in the morning. And for where yeah. you are, that, you know, that's not too bad because it's seven. Mm-hmm. But where you were last week, that was that was quite a quite a devotion, I, wasn't it? Well, it was. I, I half the week I was in Columbus, Ohio, and half the week I was in Colorado. So when I was, you know, out west, you know, we started at five a.m. But 
we're going to be in the Old Testament book of of Nahum, but may I briefly pray? I just want to oh, yeah. acknowledge Absolutely. God. And and for Sherathon and and each and every one of you, I know folks you support financially, you pray, and millions are hearing biblical worldview, the gospel message, and everyone who participates in Sherathon you share in those rewards. So let, let's just pray and acknowledge our faithful Savior. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that we can begin a new week of exploring the Word, and we open the Bible, and we read your Word, and we thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, I just I want to thank you for all of the faithful people supporting this ministry, enabling us to tell the Western Hemisphere about Jesus. And by the apps and the online, it goes out to the whole world. So, Father God, I, I pray for all these 19,000 different people that made a contribution. Lord, let each one of those donations result in souls saved. Amen. And the church revived. And so, Lord, we give glory to your name. And, Lord, we just want to acknowledge how faithful you are. And may your Holy Spirit help us to be faithful to you in return. And we just want to say, Lord, again, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. That's, you know, the um, the fact that we have the platform of AFR that we do, Alex, it, it is a great way for us to help fulfill the, the mission statement of AFA and AFR, and that's mm-hmm. to disciple people for Christ. And that's kind of what this program is really about, is to help people in their discipleship walk. And so as we follow Christ together, we invite you to come alongside and join us as we study in the book of Nahum today. And yeah. Alex and I were were joking about that a little bit earlier, not about Nahum, but the pronunciation. And I told him it was just dependent upon where you were in the country. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of folks want to try and add an E to the end of it, and it's just not there. But nonetheless, we're in the first chapter. And Alex, one of the things that I noticed in looking at some different translations, was right at the beginning. Now, in the New King James Version, it says, The burden against Nineveh, the the book of the vision of Nahum, and in other in others it's called an oracle, and still in others uh, it's called a proclamation. So what exactly, as we as we begin at the very beginning, before we get into the pronouncement from, you know, from Nahum for God, what exactly is the differences in those? Well, you know, what's interesting is the Hebrew word is a word, M-A-S-S-A. Uh, we get the word missive. If you've ever heard of somebody talk about, uh, you know, so-and-so sent a, a powerful missive to another person, a letter or a message. And so the, the Hebrew word there that is often translated like in Nahum 1.1, the burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. But so message or missive, uh, mesa is the Hebrew word, but it really means a, a, a load or a burden. Mm. Now, we know the, the word of the gospel is a blessing, salvation through Jesus, the word of the Lord. That's true. But Jim, I, I think I sort of understand this. Um, all right, the good news in, it really includes some bad news. Now, the good news is God loves us, and Christ died for us, and, and there's a way to be born again and saved. 
But there's also the warning that if you disregard Jesus, if you reject God's offer of salvation, that sin does bring judgment. So, Jim, you know, when we look at this very first verse, the prophets, you know, very often it would say something like the burden of, of the Lord on this or that prophet. Is it fair to say the good news really does contain some bad news? Oh, it does. And I mean, but I think at the same time, you know, when when you look at that, and this goes back to, and uh, Alex and I had a great talk earlier today, and so I'm going to, I'll give him credit for it, but I'm going to steal his line. Um, part of that good news, where it may seem like bad news, it's actually showing the limitations of just how far God will go. You know, one of the things that people talk about is where is God when this bad event happens or when this bad event happens. But we live in a fallen world, uh, and so that's why a lot of that evil goes on. But we also talk about that the evil seem to get away with stuff. But here in the book of Nahum, we're going to see just how much God allows before his anger uh, comes about, aren't we? We we really are, and and you pointed out, and I, I didn't know this to you, and I talked. Um, then I I saw that you're right, but the the word Nahum, the prophet's name, means comfort or consolation. Now you open this book up, and and there's some facts about the Lord that you don't hear in most praise songs today. Let me read a little <laughs> bit of this, because you know, I mean, we hear so much about the love of God, and, right? Um, you know, grace, and that's true. God is love, and God is merciful, but God is also holy. The book of Nahum, okay, here's the vision against Nineveh. Now, notice God has a word against Nineveh. A hundred years prior, Jonah preached, and there was a great revival. So if if Jonah was ministering around 730 to 740 B.C., now this is about 660 B.C., so this is roughly a hundred years later. Verse 2 says, God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. That's the first three verses. Now, Jim, we, we sing about, you know, Oh, the love of Jesus, and that's true. But isn't this, um, frankly, a refreshing counterpoint to remind us that God is also holy and righteous, and yes, God does judge sin? You know, and I think we have to look at it like that, too, because in the day and age that we live in, we see that there is so much going on in the world around us, and yet those who are faithful to the message and word of God are simply trying to point out, look, at some point, judgment is going to come. At some yeah. point, this is going to happen. So, yes, God is, you know, merciful. And as you pointed out, you know, there was a great time of uh, revival between jo- Jonah and Nahum. And mm-hmm. it's one of the things uh, Dr. Jeremiah says, God desires, and of course we know this, that none should perish in their sin. Therefore, he allows a grace period period during which even the wicked can repent. So, Alex, I want to look at, I'm not, you know, for God so loved the world, and we all understand that, but right now I want to look at the United States Mm. and where we are 
and how close we are to be being given over as a country to a reprobate mind because we are calling evil good and good evil. At what point, other than the great judgment, do you think that we will have exhausted God's grace? Uh, wow, only the Lord knows, but some days I fear we're getting really close. And, you know, I, w I had the privilege last week, I was with a group of ministers, and I, they introduced me to a man who just has written a new book on church history and revivals. Um, and we were kind of picking this guy's brain about what is the catalyst for awakening. And obviously there's got to be prayer and intercession and repentance. But uh, this particular man, Tony Cook was his name, this church historian, uh, said that if you look at all the great awakenings throughout history, um, it's basically the proclamation of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. the, the thing the Holy Spirit of God uses to really pierce through hearts and get people's attention and change the course of nations and cultures is the, the proclamation of the Word. And Jim, it reminded me of a quote I read from Martin Luther of the Reformation, you know, 1517, Martin Luther. Um, somebody was, you know, bragging on Luther must have been a, a brilliant, you know, strategist or leader. And Luther said, no, I simply preached the word. I preached the word and God used it. And so to your question, you know, there there are preachers that say homosexuality is not a sin. Um, there are preachers that would never touch topics like abortion mm. or adultery or even things like lust and the Internet and porn and all that. And uh, I, I think America, the longer we wait to repent, the, the more deeply sin gets entrenched. Mm. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We'll continue in the first chapter of Nahum straight ahead. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Janet Woodcock, Acting Commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Her agency protects and promotes public health in areas including food safety, medication, and medical devices. Psalm 4.8 reminds us of the safety and protection given to us by the Lord. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Janet Woodcock as she works for the protection of Americans. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2021 prayer journal to help guide you through the year in prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. There's more to leading a family than laying out boundaries and pointing out problems. Dr. Tony Evans talks about the more proactive approach fathers need to take as we spend two minutes with Tony. A negative person only sees what's wrong and they never offer a way to make it right. We all need negatives that you shouldn't do this and you ought not do this. But if all your kids know is you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't go there, and you can, and you can, and you can, and you can. Or all your mate knows, you're wrong here, and you're wrong there, and you can't talk right, and you can't think right, and you're dumb, and you're this, and you're that. Then that is negativism, and that is a disaster. Men, when you come home, 
Your wife's worked all day. She's come home. The children are there. She's now cooking. She's now doing dishes. And you come home. The king has arrived. And it is obvious she's frustrated. Simply reviewing the problem won't help. Neither will asking dumb questions like, is something wrong? <laughs> of course something is wrong. Offer a workable solution, like I'll dry. Or raise the question, how can I help? Condemnation without hope always crushes. And so it is very important that we offer solutions and not just restate the problem. Learn more about how men control the spiritual and emotional thermostat in their home. Request a copy of Dr. Evans' best-selling book, Kingdom Man, for yourself, your brother, uncle, husband, father, teenage son, or your church study group. Visit us at TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Making Kingdom Men. That's TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time as we spend two minutes with Tony. Trust the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. Remember the Lord in all you do and He will give you success. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. One of the favorite teachings of, of Paul was grace. And Alex uh, McFarland and Jim Stanley here on Exploring the Word. And Alex, today, as we're in the first chapter of the book of Nahum, there is some grace, but mostly it's the pronouncement of judgment to come, isn't it? It is. You know, I was looking at that verse 7 over here has a little bit of God's grace. It says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Boy, that's that's really encouraging, mm-hmm. isn't it? Uh, but, you know, we're talking a little bit about the, the judgment of God. God is jealous. God avenges. And look at verse 2. It says, God is furious. Now, I want to say this about the, the wrath of God. And, and by the way, we always, when we talk about sin and judgment, we talk about forgiveness and salvation and restoration. Part of uh, God's anger about sin, it's not like a temper tantrum. It's not something like we humanly would, you know, fly off um, in unrighteous anger. Jim, part of, part of God's righteousness, and um, I don't, I don't, know that we completely understand what that means, but he is thoroughly, pervasively holy. Mm. God is right. God is righteous. And that relates to his eternality, because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin bears a fruit, and the result of the fruit of sin is death. And part of the reason that God is eternal, uncreated, he exists forever, is because in God is no unrighteousness whatsoever. And believe it or not, let me say this, and and we'll get back to the text, but God's mandate that we turn away from sin is because he loves us. See, God, in calling us out of sin and into Jesus, God is offering us life, yes, but in, in calling us out of sin, he's really offering to spare us from the thing that would destroy us. He sure is, and, you know, as we talked about that, that really is goes to the heart 
and grace of God. And so when we're talking about these judgments, when we're talking about God being angry, we want to be very clear that God is a God of anger, but he's a God of justice, he's a God of mercy, and he's a God of grace. And Alex, I think one of the things that you said during that time is that we, because we see the Old and the New Testament, we have these great reminders in the Old Testament of how we should fear God. And then in the book of Revelation, we see again things of why we should fear God. And in between, there is grace, there is mercy. But at the same time, if we don't know who Jesus is, then we don't have the hope of that mercy and grace. We don't, Mm -hmm. you know, we can't expect the compassion of God to be poured out on us if we don't know the Christ to whom he poured out his wrath. Wow, yes. Spurgeon said, you know, think little of sin, and you'll think little of the Christ who gave his life to pay for sin. And earlier in the show, Jim, you asked the question about uh, reprobation. Now, reprobate is when people no longer have the ability to discern right from wrong. Romans 3.18, you know, it's talking about those that are unrighteous, those that are swift to shed blood, destruction, misery— uh, the way of peace they do not know, Romans 3.18. And in a way, Jim, this kind of is like us today. Mm. From Psalm 36, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. And sometimes I think about, you know, all from pop media that glorifies sin and, you know, even leaders that won't recognize moral boundaries. And, Jim, do you ever see things in the news and you think man do these people not fear god at all i mean we know god is watching and let me just say this the bible is very clear that in the day of judgment every idle word will be accounted for and let's just remember and again yes god is love god sent his son jesus whosoever will may come if you turn to christ you can be thoroughly saved forgiven washed clean but for those that are not saved. I mean, hey, the tape recorder is running. God sees everything, every word, every thought, every secret action. Let's remember that um, scholars use the word omniscient. That means God knows everything. Mm-hmm. And Jim, if you think about the uh, the holiness of God and the fact that God sees everything we've ever done, uh, that'll make you fear God. Or it should. It should. I'm I'm saved. I know my sins are washed away. My name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I fear God. You know, don't isn't that the only rational? Well, and it is, but you know that goes back to what we talked about earlier. And by the way, folks, you know we are talking about the United States of America. We're talking about things going on in what we used to call the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. and you know right now. We need to get back to Scripture and not man. And I want to be very careful. So hear my heart when I say this. Not just man's interpretation of Scripture, but what the Bible actually says. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, By the way, let me throw out a big word here, and I'm going to read verse 3 again. Nahum 1, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. 
and will not at all acquit the wicked. See, the, the wicked, let's say you've got somebody that's guilty, mm-hmm. and the judge goes, you know what, I know the law, and I know you've broken it, but hey, we're just going to let this slide. A holy, righteous, eternal God doesn't do that. Now, right now, there's, shall we say, an amnesty period. God is saying, turn to me, and mm-hmm. I will save you. Call on Jesus, and you can be forgiven. And friend, if you've never done that, if, if or if you want to make sure, and I would just plead with you to make certain that you have been saved and let me say maybe you're a church member and and you say you know i've joined a church but i'm i want to make sure there is no shame in that friend don't be ashamed and say oh well i've i'm just gonna roll the dice and take my chances no look uh it's been said that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Right. Jim, I was a church member. I had been a my name was on the church roll for eight years, and then I got saved. So there's no shame in saying, look, I need to make sure, I want to be for sure that I'm saved. But God does quit the wicked. Now he will save the repentant. Mm. But if you leave this world in a state of unbelief. Um, and stand at the great white throne judgment, you will not be acquitted. But right now here today in the land of the living, you have an opportunity to be born again. You know, Alex, that that phrase that you said there, uh, repentance, you know, Mm -hmm. and and folks, our primary goal today was to study the first chapter of the book of Nahum. But I think when we do, when we look at this and we see God's anger and we see God's wrath, it's a an incredible time to talk about the forgiveness and grace that is found in Christ. So Alex, what does it mean to repent? And I know that for a lot of our listeners, that's going to be pretty basic, but we know for a fact that we have new believers, that we have people that don't believe that want to know how we we've seen the emails. We've received, we've been blessed to receive the testimonies of people coming to Christ because of this show. So what does it mean to repent and if we repent, what's our next step? Oh, great question. Great question. Uh, and thank you for asking that. Um, in Luke thirteen three, Jesus said, if you don't repent, you will perish. So repentance is, is a key part of, of coming to Christ. All right. Uh, I saw a sign one time, Jim. I thought it was really good. It says, if you're going in the wrong direction, God allows U-turns. Mm-hmm. You, you know? So... Repentance fundamentally means to turn. Now, we often say, turn from sin to Christ. It's a Greek word, uh, metanoia is a Greek word. But it's, it's uh, for one thing, you're changing your mind and you're agreeing with God. Okay, God says, I love you, but you're a sinner. So you're saying, Lord, I admit, I am a sinner. I, so I agree. And then God says, Turn to my son, Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Christ. There are a lot of verses that speak to the, you know, if you call on the name of the Lord, you you put your trust in Christ, you'll be born again. So in repentance, you're turning from sin to Christ. And what is it that God is calling you to believe about Christ? Well, for one thing, that he is the son of God as he claimed to be. You're accepting that when he was nailed to that cross at Calvary, and the wrath of God that I deserved in Jim and all of us, the punishment for sin that we deserved was put on to Jesus. And then you're, you're saying, Lord, 
I accept that Jesus suffered and died and rose again for me, and I'm asking you to save me and forgive my sins. Now, here's the deal, because God is just and God is holy. Look, every sin will get dealt with, and, and it boils down. Either you can pay for your own sins, but that's called eternity in hell, or you can accept that Christ paid for your sins. And if you will trust who he was and what he did, and then ask the Lord, you'll be saved. A lot of verses I could share about this. Uh, John 6, 37, John 6, 40, Romans 10, 13, 1 John 5, 13. Uh, but basically, if you will ask Jesus Christ, and Jim, what's exciting, do you remember this in your own life? Do you remember when you were thinking through these things, processing these things. I remember I was 21, and, and I thought, you know what? I do believe he is the Son of God. He did the miracles. He fulfilled the prophecies. He rose from the dead, and I believe he went to that cross. Jim, I was in a college class in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'd been under conviction. And by the way, friends, conviction means that you're, you're sensing your guilt before God. You're aware of your need of the Lord. And if you're feeling conviction right now, that's a blessing. That's a blessing from the Holy Spirit. But I remember I was in a classroom, and I wasn't even hearing the lecture. I was thinking about these things, and I thought, I, I do believe Jesus, on that cross, he died for the world, and he died for me, mm. Alex McFarland. And I realized, and, I, and frankly, I was fighting back the tears. It, it was very emotionally overwhelming that on the cross— the Son of God took nails in his hands and feet. The punishment that I deserved was poured onto Jesus, and he did it for me. And then I, I thought, so if I ask him, he'll forgive me. And I believed it. And, and I thought, wow, I'm, I'm embarking on a relationship. Now, of course, Jim, I had no clue that someday I'd be a preacher and a youth pastor, and someday I would be on the radio on AFR. I didn't know that. I just knew that there was a threshold like walking through a door, and I needed to do this, and I did do it. And Jim, there might be somebody listening, and you're, you're at the doorstep. Friend, step on through the door, mm. and, and you could pray a prayer like this, and you could say, Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I admit I'm a sinner, and I deserve judgment. But I believe Jesus is the Son of God, I believe he went to the cross for me. And Lord, I'm asking you to wash my sins away. Please save me right now. Save my soul. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Uh, Jim, I believe there are people right now, and they're at, they're at the doorstep, and they, by faith in Jesus, step on through the door of salvation. Mm -hmm. And Christ will save you. We often say this, Bert and I say, he's as close by as a prayer. And friends, we want you to know Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You matter to God. So call on Christ right now. You know, Alex, um, folks, if you have prayed that prayer or if you want more information about what that prayer means, let me encourage you to call 1-800-NEED-HIM, one 800 need him now i'm not asking you to leave the program but i think you're home for eternity 
is more important than what Alex and I might say in the next 20 minutes or so. So call 1-800-NEED-HIM. There are people that we know that we, well, I don't know them personally, but we know their ministry and we trust that ministry or we would not give you their phone number. And so we would encourage you to do that. Alex, you know, you were talking about standing at the door. Revelation uh, Revelation paints that picture for us in the third chapter. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Verse 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Can you see Nahum saying that, mm-hmm. Alex, as, as he was giving this proclamation? He was giving, the, you know, he was being used as a very oracle of God to give this word, to give this message. And while these words aren't written in red, we understand that they are the pronouncements of God, don't we? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, there's a warning here to um, Nineveh. Uh, as we talked about in Jonah, Nineveh was this great Assyrian city. And Jim, I remember studying this in a history class even before before I was saved. We were doing a class on world history. I was at UNC Greensboro, and um, Nineveh was so huge. Imagine walls around the city that were so big, chariots could go across the top of the wall three abreast, like a three-lane mm-hmm. highway for chariots at least. I mean, this is an amazingly powerful city, uh, probably at that time the most powerful city. I mean, think of New York or London or something like that. And so they they were powerful, but they were guilty before God. So Nahum is saying, hey, God's knocking on the door. You better open it. That's right. Hey, folks, give us a call with your Bible questions. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. They say actions speak louder than words. Here at the American Family Association, we take that to heart. AFA Action is here to inform and help you get involved in cultural and moral issues. You can also sign up for our AFA Action Alert, which will inform you about these issues every week by email. To sign up and for more information, visit us at afaaction.net. Why are you still sitting there? If you want change, it starts with you. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. What are gates? They are defensive tools used to keep stuff out, to keep an advancing force at bay. Too often, the enemy is successful in putting Christians on defense. When the facts are, the Lord established his church as an aggressive, offensive, territory-taking body. The Lord never meant for us to sit on the sidelines of life or to cower in the corner as a result of the wickedness in our culture. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
the light of the world cannot be contained. The Lord is building his church, and the manby-pamby gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be servant of all. Do you ever feel unappreciated? I heard about an insurance adjuster who sometimes travels hundreds of miles away from home and family to help people who have endured great loss. Sometimes the people he goes to help really don't appreciate it. At times they're unkind, impatient, and demanding. But he goes anyway because he really wants to serve. The test of whether you're a real servant comes when someone treats you like a servant. Serving is easy when people are patting you on the back and telling you what a wonderful job you're doing. But when you show up and no one seems to care, a true servant says, I serve you because I serve Jesus. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 830 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We're going to take questions now on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, along with Jim Stanley. So glad you're listening, everybody. The number is 888-589-8840. If you've got a Bible question, call in today. Maybe maybe you're a first-time caller. We would love to hear from you as well. So, Jim, 888-589-8840, where shall we go first? Well, we're going to talk to James calling from Georgia. James, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you, sir. I appreciate y'all taking my call. Um, I have a question about uh, the Philistines. I know that um, Samson, he was basically warring with them his whole life, and and uh, uh, he killed a lot of uh, Philistines. And, I, and I'm wondering, my question about it is, is, is the Philistines of his day the same as the Palestines of today? And if not, where did the Philistines go, and where did the Palestinians come from? Great, great question. Do you know what? I have heard that uh, our modern use of the word Palestine or Palestinian is really a, a version of the word Philistine, um, interestingly, the word Philistine means guards of the city. So, you know, Goliath was a Philistine, um, and traditionally throughout history they've been, you know, a, a fortified people militarily. And so the um, at least from tw- the 12th century B.C., so we're talking at least 12 to 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, the Philistine people were in what we call the Middle East, now the Holy Land. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that anybody could know definitively, um, but the uh, 
I don't, I don't, Jim, I'm not going to say they've tested the DNA, but historically, the modern what are called Palestinians would be the descendants of the ancient biblical Philistines. Hmm. James, great question. Thanks for listening and thanks for calling this afternoon. Going to talk to Carol calling from Kansas now. Carol, good afternoon and welcome to Exploring the Word. Oh, hi. Um, well, um, these are, are probably some terms that that um, I wanted to have defined or kind of clarified that are, um, I'm Southern Baptist, and I don't believe in five-point Calvinism, but I keep hearing this word, uh, new Calvinism, so I'm wondering what that is, as well as the word reformed, and uh, use it like uh, reformed and in the denomination, like reformed Lutheran, reformed, whatever the denomination is. All right, I keep Carol. hearing that word. And then also the Gospel Coalition. I don't. I wanted some clarification on those terms. <laughs> so basically you work three questions into one, and mm-hmm. we're going to take those one at a time. Uh, Alex, but as we get started, let's uh, give a, a brief chat about New Calvin, Calvinism. Yeah, and, and by the way, thanks for calling in, and, and thanks for caring about theological precision, because I think it's important to think accurately and precisely when it comes to God's truth. Okay, John Calvin was a man during the time of the Reformation, and, you know, it's interesting, Calvinism... Um, and a lot of the people that have kind of embraced some of the writings of John Calvin, they, they take things even farther than Calvin would have taken it. Uh, traditionally, Calvinism um, believes in what's called double election, that some people are elected to heaven, and some people, conversely, are elected not to go to heaven, or therefore are elected to hell. Uh, Calvinism generally denies that humans have free will, and we don't make a choice about turning to Christ, but it's by decree. And one of their core values is irresistible grace, that uh, God extends grace to those that he has elected. Um, And believe me, even in sharing some of these things, I'm probably opening up a can of worms, and if I say something offensive, I really don't mean to, but but I want to say... Jim, I'm not a Calvinist, even though I was raised in a Calvinist context. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think part of what our humanity involves is free will, that God offers salvation, but he doesn't force it. And let me say also this, that um, a number of scholars, not the least of whom are some people like C.S. Lewis and others, would say that for God to elect some to go to hell— and there's no recourse, no choice, that many believe that that would compromise God's moral nature. Now, the new Calvinism, it doesn't mean that there's a new rendition of it. The word new simply means it's kind of a revival of Calvinism that has, in one degree or another, existed for several hundred years. So the new Calvinism is simply a resurgence of the uh, Calvinism that seems to come around every hundred years or so. Now, she asked the question about Reformed theology. All right, the last verse of Galatians, Galatians 6, 16, says, you know, blessed be the Israel of God. So, Jim, Reformed theology in general 
says that Israel, by rejecting their Messiah, crucifying Jesus, they forfeited their covenant promises. And once uh, Israel was ransacked by Rome in AD 70, you know, Israel ceased to exist, and uh, the church is the new Israel. Um, and again, I, I know Reformed people, I know very, very, very Reformed people that believe that modern-day Israel doesn't mean anything, mm. and I I disagree. The church is the church, and Israel is Israel. And Paul says in Romans, has, has Israel's unbelief made the promises of God to none effect? Heaven forbid. So when um, Galatians 6.16 mentions blessing on, quote, the Israel of God, um, I don't think you can take that one verse and run with it and say that the church is Israel. Um, God is not done with the nation of Israel. One day the people of Israel will occupy their land in a state of belief. And so, uh, Jim, I've probably already ruffled a few feathers, but these are some theological camps. And let me just encourage people, um, we all believe in Jesus. If mm -hmm. you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, whether you're a uh, you know, free will Baptist or a hard shell Calvinist, you know, whatever. Um, let's remember that there is something bigger than any of our theological camps, and that's the unity that we have in the Savior. And let's let's give grace and space and love even to those with whom we in some ways disagree. Amen. And folks, that's one of the things that this program tries to do. We want to talk about the things that unite us and not the things that divide us. Now, I don't think Carol was trying to do that at all. I think she had some genuine questions because she hears these words being used, and a lot of times we use them in ways that we don't necessarily understand uh, what they're talking about. And so that was a great question, Carol. Appreciate your call. We're going to talk to, uh, pardon me, we're going to talk to Todd calling from Louisiana. Todd, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey, brothers. I listen to you all a lot. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Hey, okay. Uh, my question was about the Sabbath. Hey, um, Alex, I know you know this, and Jim, you probably know this as well. Um, in today's society, if we work on Saturday, which we all do work on Saturday, are we breaking the Sabbath? And is Jesus the Sabbath? And if we believe in him, will our sins be forgiven for working on Saturday? And I'm hang up and listen to you brother all right i appreciate the call you know alex that's a call that we get from time to time uh talking about the difference in the sabbath which our jewish friends still observe uh, as well as some seventh day adventist and others but also what it means to uh worship on sunday and you know looking to keep sunday quote unquote holy well you know as a as a culture in america especially if we really thought about that, it meant it would mean that we'd go home after church for lunch instead of going to the restaurant because we hmm. wouldn't want those folks to work, you know. Um, so help us understand that, and and obviously we understand what the Sabbath is and how it functions, but help us understand what that means and then what uh, the Resurrection Sunday means. Wow, uh, great question, and you know we get this a lot about um, the Sabbath, because, you know, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our, our Sabbath rest. When we're in Christ, we are in a perpetual Sabbath rest. Um, 
now you've got to understand that the caller asked the question if we work on Saturday or something like that, are our sins still forgiven? When you turn to Christ to be born again, uh, positionally you're in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So understand, if you've put your trust in Jesus and you're born again, your sins are all for- forgiven. There's there's Christian birth, and then your, there's your Christian walk. And so uh, when we sin as a Christian, that's a, not an issue of sonship, that's an issue of fellowship. But let, let me just say this. The early church, I mean, if you read like Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week they were gathered together and Paul preached to them and preached until midnight. First um, Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week. Uh, why did they worship on the first day of the week? Well, that was Resurrection Sunday. And so understand that even in the early church, they were gathering for worship on Sunday, not Saturday. Now, if a person feels like they need to not not ever work and, and rest all day on a Saturday, you know, Romans 14.5 says one person esteems one day better than another, and another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, Colossians says don't pass judgment on another in terms of food or drink, festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. So, Jim, some feel led to keep a Saturday Sabbath, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to judge you, uh, and you don't judge me for not, but you have to understand, keeping a Sabbath is not part of the gospel of salvation. On the cross, John 19.30, Jesus said, it is finished. So all of that law was fulfilled, um, and if you're a believer, you're in Christ, Galatians 3, and your you're Sabbath requirements are fulfilled in Jesus. Mm. So I, I really think a Sabbath and a day of rest is a matter of personal conviction and personal um, action. And we, like like we said earlier, you know, we give grace and space. We don't judge those who do or judge those who don't. But understand that this is not part of how you get saved. It might be part of how you pull aside to commune with God and spend a whole day in meditation, but there's no work we can add to Christ's finished work on the cross, is it, Jim? That's right. When he said it is finished, it's because it was and is. That that was not just a statement with a great big period or exclamation point there. When he said it is finished, it was finished from then until eternity. The, The work that he did was complete. If not, then our salvation, you know, that would that would be questionable. Kathy's calling from Texas, and I want to see what her question is because I, I like the topic there. Kathy, welcome to Exploring the Word. Oh, hi. How are you? Doing well. Can you well. hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, I have a question. I, I get, and I have to admit, I get a little bit... Um, perturbed, I guess you could say, when people complicate the gospel. And see, I came out of sexual addiction, alcoholism, searching for love, and when Jesus found me, I knew I had the answer. And to me, it was like, why are we complicating this? You know, to me, it was just so easy that um, he lost me. And why do we complicate it with do we, you know, how do we worship this way, that way? And I don't want to pick on anybody that said anything, but um, 
a lot of things I just don't understand. I got saved late in life, and, um, you know, it took me a long, long time to get over some of those issues that I came out of, and, and Jesus was there the whole time. And as far as I'm concerned, it's really simple. Am, am I making sense to y'all? Kathy, you absolutely are, and I appreciate your call. appreciate your listening this afternoon. And when I saw that topic, Complicating Jesus, that's why I wanted to hear what you had to say. Alex, you know, we try and simplify the work of the cross, not simplify for simplicity's sake, but simplify that people understand that it's not up to us. It's not incumbent on us. It's all because of Jesus, isn't it? it well, it is. And, and you know, thank you, ma'am, for your great call, because it really is simple. I mean, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about the gospel. Uh, a little child can understand that Jesus loves me and Jesus will forgive me. Um, a brilliant theologian like like a, a Josh McDowell or a Lee Strobel uh, or a C.S. Lewis, you know, can never fully exhaust all of the nuances of meaning. Um, but you know what? It, it really is as simple as if you put your faith in Jesus, he will save you. Jesus loves you. Um, from the virgin birth to his sinless life, his miraculous deeds, his death, resurrection. You know, there's scholars come up with big words, Jim, like, you know, the imputation, all of our unrighteousness was laid on Jesus, imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to us, and it can get pretty heady and cerebral real quick. But the caller's right. Let's just keep it simple. If you call on the name of Jesus, he will save you. Amen. Folks, I'd encourage you, if you have a chance this afternoon, to go ahead and look through the book of Nahum. But I also want to encourage you to look at First Corinthians, the first chapter. And read what Paul wrote there. And then it, it kind of follows up on what was just asked. And that is that God uses the foolishness of men to confound the wise. And so think about that this afternoon as well. Hey, Alex, thanks for letting me hang out. Well, let's do it again tomorrow. Sounds like a plan. Folks, make, please tell someone about Exploring the Word in AFR, but mostly tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.